radio for the Agile community. www.agile.fm Thanks for tuning in into another episode of Agile FM, uh, the podcast for the Agile community. And today I'm here with Bob Gower. Bob is a member of the organization design firm The Ready. He is an authority on agile development, lean theory, and responsive organizational design. He's the author of Agile Business, uh, a Leader's Guide to Harnessing Complexity, that is the title. And he has worked with companies such as GE, Ford, Chanel, Spotify, and he has an MBA in Sustainable Management. New York City is his home. His Twitter handle is Bob Gower. I'm just going to spell that out. It is B-O-B-G-O-W-E-R, and his website is bobgower.com. Bob, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yes, and Bob, we're going to uh, actually see each other in Amsterdam in September, uh, the 20th of September and the 21st of September, uh, when we're going to uh, have you as a speaker at agileamsterdam.nl. That is the website for the, uh, for the conference over there. And that is a leadership uh, conference uh, uh, dedicated to, to the Agile uh, movement. Um, and you will also appear at the Agile Leadership Conference in Miami, and that is on the 2nd of November in Miami. Um, Two great cities to go to visit. And, exactly. Uh, excited to visit both of them, yeah. Excellent. So what I wanted to talk about today was actually um, Agile transformation, Agile system, uh, personal development of a leader, and uh, I was just thinking, why don't we just mix them all together? Uh, somehow they uh, are intertwined and, uh, you know... Um, do transformations actually need a good leader? Question mark. <laughs> do transformations need a good leader? Interesting. I was just I'm I'm kind of steeped in this right now, partially because I'm this is the topic of the talk I'm going to be giving in Amsterdam, and um, I'm also writing a piece for a client right now. We're working on a white paper on what we're calling it organizing for innovation, and we were exploring the role of the leader. And I think, you know, the answer is yes, absolutely, we need leaders for, for, for transformations. Um, but leadership is showing up in a substantially different way. And I don't think people really, I don't think I appreciated for a long time how different it was when you start moving from a, let's call it command and control system, which, you know, frankly, has done really great things for humanity um, during the industrial age. It really helped us, um, you know, create a lot of wealth and, and, and create a lot of um, great well-being for a lot of people. It also led to some other things as well, which we can talk about. But, okay. but really, it was, a, it, was a, it, was, it was a wonderful innovation, this idea of separating the thinker from the doer, right? You had the thinker, the leader at the top of the organization doing all the thinking to the doer at the bottom of the organization on the front lines, and then kind of the layer in between, which is middle management, which ran the show. Um, but I think now what we have is we, we really need thinker, people to think and do. And when you start to, because, you know, like we need knowledge workers. We need people to be engaged in their work. They're almost all workers these days are solving problems creatively all day, especially in the innovation space, but in all spaces. And so leading in a world like that isn't just about ordering people around anymore, but it's a, it, it, there's an, kind of an entirely different mindset and entirely different set of practices that we need to do. So the answer, yes, we need leaders, but we need them to be different. Right. How can, how can leaders prepare for something like that? 
I don't know. It's like the sort of like asking, how do you prepare to have a baby or how do you prepare to get married? You know, like <laughs> I, I, I don't know that you do, except that you, you know, make the decision that it's something that you want and you make the decision also that you're willing to go through what it takes in order to get there. Um, there's a wonderful book that came out last year by a woman named Susan David called Emotional Agility. Are you familiar with that? Did you ever? I'm not, but it sounds intriguing. Yeah, she's a researcher at Harvard and she was really curious about like, what does it take to have, you know, like, not necessarily to make, you know, this, this idea of resilience, right? Like that you, you sort of take a hit and you can move, you can keep moving, um, rather than avoiding hits, right? Being risk averse or, you know, rather than, you know, sort of like, uh, what do you, I used to rock climb a lot. We said, feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm-hmm. But anyway, in this book, Emotional Agility, she talks about how, what you need to do is have your values. Like it's, she's like, how do you deal with tough stuff? How do you deal with tough situations? And that's, and that's the heart of a transformation. And she says, the way you do it is you have your values as a guide and then you just lean into it. You know, like you, Mm -hmm. you have to, you don't expect it to be easy. Don't expect it to be fun all of the time, but you have to know, you have to make the decision that it's worth it. And you have to be willing to go through the personal transformation that it takes in order to get there. And it takes a personal transformation, I think, um, mm-hmm. on all of our parts. It's taken me a personal transformation over the years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. In, in terms of the transformation project, if we're seeing a transformation of an organization as a project, uh, um, we don't have a very good track record. Uh, there's quite a, a good chunk of uh, projects that actually fail. Transformations have failed. Why do they, why do they fail? What's, uh, and why are we not good at it? Yeah, we're not, are we? Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, I've been a part of many, you know, let's call them failed transformations. I, I, you know, I think there's probably two questions. One question is maybe letting ourselves off the hook a little too much or one answer. And that's to say that they fail because, you know, we fail to appreciate what we actually have accomplished and what we actually have changed. You know, it's, it's very similar to, you know, product development where you, you, uh, you, you think you failed because you didn't hit the plan that you made, mm-hmm. but the plan that you made needs to be a responsive and adaptive plan. And so often we don't hit plans. And I think, you know, maybe the mistake we make is that we plan too much in the first place. We, pred- we try to predict too much of the change in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I guess that would lead probably to the second answer is that I think we conceive of change in, in the wrong way. Actually, I was speaking to a mutual friend of ours, uh, earlier today, who's in the Netherlands working on a project and, and we were talking about sort of the nature of change and we were noting that the the idea is like we can have a really wonderful picture of where we want to go. And that that is to an agile organization organized around small teams that are cross-functional, that are pulling work off of a prioritized backlog, that are speaking to their customer on a regular basis, that are innovating and, and empowered. Like we can envision all of that and I think it's, it's really useful to. But – we are really bad about about envisioning the path to get there. And we're kind of an impatient, you know, species, I think humans are. Mm. So we imagine like, okay, we're going to, and so it's kind of weird, but we approach building an organization capable of of, of incremental product development. We approach that transformation as if it is a large single project that has a beginning, middle, and end. And I think the truth is, um, I'm a huge fan of a book um, called by Jason Little um, called, I think, Lean Change Management. Mm-hmm. And, and I think he really captures it well. He describes a good model um, really well. But the idea is, is that we're, we want to teach an organization how to know, how to change itself, how to be able to change. 
And that this is probably the biggest change. And in some ways, it doesn't matter what specific change we're making, but we need to help the organization develop the habit and develop the muscle because most organizations are just static and they, you know, and most reorganizations move from one static structure to another static structure. And that's really not terribly useful. Mm. Um, you know, uh, Jason, Jason Little actually um, appeared on this, this uh, podcast a few months ago. So um, also a very, very good read, right? There's also the argument we could make um, in terms of these projects, why they fail is that the time we actually had since, uh, you know, the, the birth of Agile in 2001, so to speak, uh, there was definitely movement before 2001, but before it has a name um, of Agile. But if, in terms of the grand scheme of time period, right, we had much, much more time to uh, manifest uh, what's called traditional uh, structures and traditional processes to run an organization. So uh, even though the projects might fail, we could say, well, we haven't had a lot of time so far yet to uh, to do all these things. So maybe time, time will tell over time, but uh, is, is Agile too hard? Is Agile too hard? Interesting. Hard I don't know. Do. I mean, it, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I think it's necessary. So I don't know if, the, if too hard, you know, I, I mean, I think we have to, people used to always ask me like, um, you know, what kind of project is good for Agile and what isn't. And, and I felt very self-serving as an Agile consultant to say, well, all projects are good for Agile, but I really do. Th I think Agile is a response to market conditions and, and social conditions and technological conditions. And it's forcing us to begin. It's actually, I think, part of a much larger movement that is still coalescing. We've talked about it as the responsive movement. I think lean. I think you go back to Toyota production system. You can see the see the origins of it there. But it's really at the heart of the movement is is looking at systems, looking at an organization as a whole system and as a whole complex system, rather than as a simple linear system that you can improve in a reductive way. In other words, you can't like we're looking at a system as we need to act on all parts of the system because we're trying to improve the whole um, rather than, you know, in my in traditional sort of MBA speak, right, doing a cost out measure, doing an efficiency project that's only acting on a single part of the organization. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's really exciting to me, but that's what makes it so hard and that's what makes it so challenging. And as you say, it's new, right? This is a, I think, a substantially different way to look at constructing a large human system. And I would say it's it's really deeply radical that probably since the dawn of agriculture, we've been operating, we've been creating systems that are very linear, um, you know, creating hierarchies, creating armies, you know, creating, um, you know, royalty and 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 caste systems and these kinds of top down and, and corporate structure was just one other expression of that. Mm -hmm. But agile is really different. It's like let's empower people, That's and, right. that, I, and I don't. I think it's a really, really new idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. As you said, radical, right? Uh, I like that term. Um, maybe an, another reason why these uh, transformation projects just have a very uh, bad track record out there is um, that the traditional systems uh, might have had a cookie cutter uh, implementation, which we don't have, right? Um, so there's, there's more like a journey approach. Um, what kind of um, changes do you think need to take place to go from a, let's call them traditional systems, 
um, to something agile, lean? Like what, what changes need to occur? I know there is no cookie cutter, but what kind of things would you like to see in, in place to have a, at least a good starting point for a good agile transformation? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I, I think the, the, you know, the starting point, the mental model where I start all of my work from is that, um, focuses on really decision making and where decisions get made and how they get made. Mm-hmm. And in most organizations, you know, again, this is idea of, of combining thinking and doing at the edge of the organization. And so what we want is we want usually teams, usually small cross-functional teams, which is a sort of traditional agile or scrum model. We want them to be empowered to, you know, based on based on specific decision rights, we want them to be, you know, safe within the organization, not, not able to destroy the organization from the edge. But but we want them to be able to make, let's say, 70, 80 percent of the decisions that they make to be able to make internally on the fly with the team. Um, another 10 or 15 percent of those those decisions, we would like them to be made uh, based on advisement from outside the team. Either they seek advice from customers or other teams, colleagues or, uh, you know, people, quote unquote, higher up leaders within the organization. And then there's probably 5% of decisions that we would like to be, that probably need to be centralized. They're so sensitive or they're so big, they have such a large time scale to them that they should probably be centralized and base and done via some kind of collaborative process, but a really strict collaborative process. We, we really like um, integrative decision making or IDM that comes out of holacracy and sociocracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really strong methodology. But what we find is that most organizations, and I think most of your listeners and people who spend time in traditional organizations will think that's not really the way it works, right? Most organizations centralize almost all decision-making. Like, you, like, well, let me ask my boss. Let me ask legal. Let me ask finance. Let me ask this. Let me ask that. And we're always and, – and so basic lean theory would say it's not the time spent within a process, which is the problem, which is where the delay happens, but it's the delays between the boxes where the problem happens. Right. And so – and so every time you need to seek authority outside of your team, you have now created a delay. And those delays add on and add on and add on top of themselves. And so you end up with a very, very, very slow-moving organization. Furthermore, the decision may, is made usually with incomplete information because we're playing a game of telephone with the information as it flows to the people who are making the decision. And then we're taking time for the orders to flow back down. And we're playing telephone yet again with those orders. To, the, to where you get a, uh, you know, like, it's funny, I like to go around and ask people in new organizations I go to, it's like, how much of your work, your day-to-day work, do you think really contributes to value to your customer? You know, like, how much of it is, and mm-hmm. in, in, in maybe let's take the last year. And I did this with one organization recently, and they said, uh, maybe 10%. And they were overworked. And I was like, <laughs> you know, like, so 10% of your time <laughs> is spent delivering value to the customer. The less of time is spent either executing the wrong decision, doing the wrong thing, waiting for someone to make a decision and it just and and i don't think we really appreciate how how much this slows down our organizations oh absolutely i mean i i ask similar questions uh, sometimes and, and one of them is about expense expenses and expense approvals right uh, totally unrelated to agile but just like who can who can just go and have an expense and and just get reimbursed without asking any kind of questions and usually there are hardly anybody uh, in these large corporations who can answer that with yes and then you see fast-moving organizations where people have full empowerment uh, over little things like uh, taxi bills and so on, right? Um, very interesting. What are the struggles of leaders you work with out there? If, if you would just think about some, some leaders, some workshops, maybe some uh, 
conferences you have attend, you meet leaders, what are they struggling with? Yeah, I think leaders struggle with a, with a couple of things. I, I, well, I, I maybe the core struggle, right, is, mm-hmm. um, is really even with their own mindset. And I've worked with leaders, and, and this is unfortunate. I think you maybe have probably encountered this as well. There's a lot of agilists I know encounter this, where we, we get brought in. People say, you know, buy me this thing called agile, right? And, um, and I, I know some consultants that may have made a good job, that have done a, 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 not a good job. They have done a job of productizing agile into a certification or a single workshop or a series of workshops or a transformation model. And this, and so the leader will say, go, go get me agile. And then they'll hire somebody, but the leader has themselves not committed to making the change. And I, so I think sort of the first switch, and I think I, I keep, feel like I keep hitting on this topic, but obviously it's important to me. And I think it's, it's central sure. is that the leader, you know, there's that old joke, right? You know, who wants change? You know, and everybody raises their hands and like, who wants to change? And like, nobody raises their hand. And, and I think that's the, you know, like leaders, I always joke that leaders are, are hiring me to help them with team problems. But what I'm really doing is helping teams uh, with leader problems. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, and so, and a lot of it is the leader needs to, needs to at first sort of really appreciate that they are, they are the problem. And that they are, and in many ways, just by stopping being the problem, they can help be the solution. Um, often it's, it's not so much what they are not doing that's the problem, but it's what they are doing. So almost looking at it as a, as an, as a subtractive, you know, mm-hmm. uh, rather than an additive process. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned a good point here. The, uh, the products being sold to organizations, right? I mean, um, trainings, workshops, uh, certification and so forth. Um, I think there was a big wave uh, going on. Uh, it's called it um, 2007 to 2014 or so. Lots of certifications, uh, lots of interest in the topic. A lot of teams were, so to speak, transformed. But um, could it be also the reason that now we have all the teams uh, working and operating on an agile uh, level within an organization that now the rest of the organization is uh, adjusting as well? Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's interesting. I, I just, uh, I'm working a, a project right now where that's exactly what's happened is that it's an old traditional organization in a very sort of industrial traditional space. And they, they created a, an agile team. They created a, a innovation lab model mm-hmm. and had great success with it. But it's not leading to success with the rest of the organization. It's not leading to success across the organization. And so the consultants that they were working with, they were working with one of the big, you know, consulting, you know, traditional consulting houses on this and their agile branch. And the solution that they were given was, oh, you just need more teams. Let's just do more teams and more teams. And thankfully, and and luckily for us in my organization, right, that there were a couple of leaders within the org who said, no, I don't think we need more teams. I don't think teams is the problem. I think it's the the thing that binds the teams together, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, it's funny, I'm just working on some slides for them, too. And I, I took a picture of a of a tall poppy. Are you familiar with the phrase, the tall poppy syndrome? I think it's from the UK. But the idea is that, like, the tallest flower gets cut off. You know, the, the Japanese say the same thing, that the nail that sticks up gets beat down. And I, you know, and I think what happens with these innovation labs, right, is that we create a tall poppy or a nail sticking up. And the rest of the organization consciously or unconsciously begins to resent or attack that organ that part of the organization 
and they're not truly able to integrate. And I think people don't really appreciate mm-hmm. how, you know, I think kind of going back to your earlier question about leaders' challenges, we don't go back and really think about changing, you know, deliberately changing our own mindset to, you know, and I've had to do this so many times in my career. You know, I'm in my 50s now and I've, yeah. I've had a lot of a lot of time in a lot of different roles and a lot of different orgs. And, you know, I've really had to retool my mindset away from one, you know, where I'm always like, you know, accountability focus, you know, well, how can I ensure accountability to one where I learn how to find the place in myself that's able to extend trust to, you know, you know, reasonably so, right? Mm -hmm. Ask myself, are these people trustworthy? Okay, they are trustworthy. All right, I am going to trust them. And I am going to ask that they work in public so I can check when I, you know, but I'm not going to make them do like status update meetings with me over and over again and burn all of that time and energy doing that. And I'm going to give them the authority to say, here's your budget. Let's go figure it out. And if we blow the budget, all right, well, we didn't blow the entire org, you know, like right. we'll, we'll inspect and adapt. We'll correct along the way. Mm-hmm. And that, that the trust that I think the teams begin to feel, that's the real asset, you know, like that's the real organizational asset. It's not in your, your, your processes. It's not, it's, it's more, well, I mean, there is some in platform like open APIs and that kind of thing that could really enable, um, in, enable, you know, and a DevOps practice and all of these things that enable quick deployment. But I think also like the team trusting each other, liking each other, enjoying each other, um, and feeling like they're able to disagree what, you know, the Google, the, the, the rework project that Google calls psychological safety, mm-hmm. right? That that's the thing. And that's the thing that leaders destroy so easily, often without even knowing it. Mm. Well, we have been we have been talking here now for uh, a while about transformations and going from one side to the to the other, from traditional to to agile. Do you think there is a sweet spot for traditional, um, you know, industrialized kind of approaches? Is there something you wouldn't touch it's beside the army? <laughs> well, I, you know, even the army, right? You know, you read like Stan McChrystal stuff or like what's going on within the Navy SEALs, like mm-hmm. they did yeah. and, um, and uh, David Marquette's the, uh, the USS Santa Fe, like there's some really interesting leadership models coming out of the military right now. But, um, but are you saying like, are there groups that I would never work with? Or? No, but what you think like the, the traditional approach is, is the better, I mean, uh, for uh, a specific situation, do you think there are either project types or industries uh, more suitable for an, you know, an, an old school approach. I guess, but they're not industries that I'm too excited about. But you know, the old extractive economy stuff, you know, like coal mining. I guess, but then again, yeah. you know, like there's some really inter- like Morningstar. Um, if you're familiar with them, they're a yeah. tomato processor, right? And they do mm-hmm. some really interesting stuff with self-managed teams. Um, I really think that yeah, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and my background or my interest, you mentioned before, I have an MBA in something called sustainable management or sustainable systems. And the idea is that we're looking at business as a generator of uh, environmental sustainability and social justice, uh, you know, as a contributor to, to sort of better human systems. And and I think that as we move to these more sort of self-managed systems, we'll because nobody wakes up in the morning, at least I don't think nobody that I'm really aware of. Well, maybe there are a few people, but they wake up in the morning and they say, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to ruin an ecosystem today and I'm going to fun doing it. You know, somebody I, like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't get political, but, uh, <laughs> but, but 
I, I, you know, like I feel like most people are incredibly well-intentioned. And I think this is on both sides of the political spectrum or all sides of the political spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and that but we're also trapped in systems that don't allow us or we don't or we believe we have to make a trade-off. We're like, well, we would love to be nice to the environment, but we're unwilling to make the economic trade-off. But a lot of the indicators are that, that that's really not necessary, at least not at a macro level. At a micro level, an individual Mm-hmm. town or city level it, it can be it, it can create a trade-off but i think i really do believe that these systems are powerful and i i believe strongly that we that as we empower people or as we create um give people voice in the kinds of things they work on how they do their work how they approach their work let them know their customer let them feel the value that they're delivering to their customer that we're actually just going to create better stuff um, over time. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, this is my business and, and so take it all with a grain of salt, but I really do believe that, that, that I would, I would, I'm curious to work on just about any kind of organization. I've had tobacco companies approach me and I've, I've never done it, but I've been like, well, maybe Yeah, (laughs) I've done some, you know, my, my wife is a, is an, as a health coach and, uh, and has written a lot of books on natural health and, and I'll have like soda companies approach us. We've done some work for mm-hmm. some soda companies and I'll be like, but I, I you know, I, I, I like to think that in the long game, if we're playing the long game, that these kinds of methods are, are appropriate and valuable in almost any economic sector in any organization. Yeah. Well, Bob, the only thing I can say for sure is that your MBA in sustainable management is absolutely at the, you know, useful at the, at the very time here we were in 2017. Um, I think you have an amazing story to tell. Um, I think in this podcast, we um, uncovered a, a gap, right? A leadership gap. And uh, you're about to fill that gap in, uh, <laughs> in Amsterdam and in Miami. And I just want to thank you for your time here, speaking about some of those topics you will address. And obviously, there's more, uh, much, much more depth to it. If you, uh, uh, listeners, if you want to reach out to Bob, again, his uh, website is bobgower.com. Or his Twitter handle is Bob Gower. That's it. Thank you, Bob. Well, thank you so much, Joe. It's been a pleasure, and I can't wait to see you in Amsterdam and Miami. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.